Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Prepare our heart, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Mark 1, verse 21. Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. But just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed. And they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority? He he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the Lord be with you. A couple of things before I share God's word with you. Number one, I do want you to know that the session met last Tuesday night, this past Tuesday night, and we spent time on the agenda discussing our plans to reopen the congregation. And there's several factors that we feel will will cause us to really think very carefully about when we're doing that. But in the meantime, we are still moving ahead with worship plans that will bring us all together and uh, later on in the in the late winter toward the end of lent we're looking at having worship services outdoor where you could actually have a drive-in worship in the parking lot and we have several other plans in place for easter during this time while we're waiting for the reopening of our church we are also taking the opportunity to do some much needed work within the space so that when we do reopen, all these uh, delayed maintenance needs will be, will be fully taken care of. So just know that this is an important issue for our session and we are working very, de- session and our trustees, and we're working very deliberately at that. The second thing I did want you to also know is just how excited I am For the last several weeks, I've been getting emails from from many of you expressing a desire to take up the Bible reading challenge in 2021. 
And I said to someone a week ago that it's not too late. It's not too late to get started in reading through the Bible. So I'm really excited that, that you're doing that. The other thing that I want you to know is that I also have been sending out these Bible reading guides. Some people are telling me, well, I've never really read through the Bible. How do I do it? Where do I start? And so if you'd like to join me in the Bible reading challenge in 2021, you'd like to receive one of those Bible reading guides, just send me a quick email and I'll turn it around and I'll send it right back to you. So I'm excited that we're getting into God's word and talking about getting into God's word. I want you to think with me now about this topic that has been on my heart for several weeks about the signs of the kingdom of God, the signs of the kingdom of God. And I want to talk about this by asking a question. Can followers of Jesus demonstrate signs of the kingdom of God even in the 21st century? Our reading this morning opens with a place name. Jesus, along with his newly called disciples, went to the town of Capernaum. And Mark 1.29 seems to suggest that Andrew and Simon and James and John were residents of this small town. You know, by the grace of God, I had the, the rich blessing of visiting Capernaum on two different occasions. Capernaum is one of the few sites specified by Mark as the very center of Jesus' preaching and healing ministry. And no wonder it's called the town of Jesus. And so that picture you're looking at, I remember taking that picture as I walked in and I was so moved by the recognition that Capernaum was a, was a central place in the ministry of Jesus. And then when the Sabbath came, we're told that Jesus entered the synagogue and started teaching. This synagogue, of course, no longer exists, but we walked on the ruins of a synagogue dating back to the fourth century, which is now, which was built over the synagogue that Jesus visited when he was in Capernaum. So here it is, another picture where you see members of our, our congregation who joined us on that trip back in 2019, and we walked through the ruins of that synagogue from the fourth century. Think about it. We were standing in the place where Jesus worshiped on the Sabbath day when he was in the synagogue at Capernaum. One of the things Jesus does in the synagogue was to teach scripture to the people. Mark doesn't give us the content of his preaching, but we can assume that it would have been similar to what he was saying from Mark 1.15. The time was fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You go back to Luke 4, and Jesus then, as he stood in the synagogue and spoke from the scriptures, read from the book of Isaiah chapter 61. So somewhere in Isaiah and somewhere in that messaging, he was talking about his purpose and his reason for being here. But his teaching, we find out, was unlike the teaching of the scribes of that day. Jesus taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And I would imagine that what that means is that there was this intimacy to his teaching, this intimacy to his knowledge of God. He spoke as though he had this long time personal experience with the being and the nature of God. There was something fresh, there was something powerful, there was something life-giving about what he had to say, unlike the scribes. 
And most likely they spoke well. And most likely they were speaking out of the scripture, but maybe it wasn't coming from a place of spiritual power and true knowledge and intimacy with God. And as you heard in the reading this morning, as he was teaching, he encountered a man with an unclean spirit, a demon. This man was possessed. This demon controlled the very center of this man's personality. And the demon then could act and speak through the body of this man. The man interrupted Jesus' sermon and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And at that moment, you can just imagine all the people who were dozing off. They just shot to attention. You can imagine the parents hugging their little ones a little closer, looking for the nearest exit. I don't know if you realize this, that demons have knowledge of God. James said that even the devils believe. Imagine that. The devils believe that there is a God and trembles. The demon knew things about Jesus that the people didn't know. And I just find this to be remarkable on many levels. The demon disrupted the service. Why? Because the demon know that Jesus represents this inbreaking of the new kingdom of God and it would spell the demise of the kingdom of darkness. This was a clash of kingdoms. And what you hear in verse 24 are cries of terror, they're cries of mockery, they're cries of disdain and resistance. The demon is now face to face with the power of God. He knows that his day is coming when all the demonic powers will be destroyed by Jesus' victory through the cross, through his resurrection, through his ascension, and through his, through his second coming. And so he is crying out in torment. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus literally silenced the demon. The Greek word there says he muzzled the demon. He commands the demon to shut up, to be quiet, to stop speaking. And in verse 26, we're told that Jesus says, told the demon to come out of the man and the demon threw, the unclean spirit threw the man's body on the ground and he was convulsing and he was crying out with a loud voice as it came out of him. So imagine being at a Sabbath service and witnessing this power encounter. And again, we read that people were amazed and they were saying, what is this? We haven't witnessed anything like this, this display of authority. We haven't seen this. Is this some kind of new teaching? Is this some new authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And so in Jesus, we see his authority as a teacher. And in Jesus, we see his authority as one who works the mighty works of God. We see Jesus' word and we see his deeds. And it doesn't take long for like a, like a spark that you throw in a dry forest. It doesn't take long for Jesus' fame to spread like a wildfire throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. 
And of course, we didn't take the time to read verses 29 through 32, but literally when you walk out of the synagogue just a few steps away, and when we were there, we witnessed this, we saw this, this very majestic Catholic church built over what is believed to be the home of Peter. You walk out and there it is, you see the ruins of Peter's home. And we read in the text in verse 29 that Peter's mother-in-law was bedridden with a fever and Jesus healed her. And later that evening, because his fame had spread, scores of people from around the region of Galilee were bringing those who were suffering, those who were broken, those who were stricken, those who were hurting, those who had illnesses and diseases, those who came with demons, and Mark says that Jesus healed them. The question I've been asking myself as I've been reading this is, what do we do with these stories? Are they only for a simpler pre-scientific era when people ignorant of the laws of science thought they were witnessing miracles. In my seminary days, I remember taking a class that focused on the 19th century theologians and the impact that they're still having in the world. And I remember reading the, the, the works of David Friedrich Strauss, that 19th century German theologian who wrote the book, The Life of Jesus. And he, he looked at these miracle stories and he called them myths. He said the miracles are myths developed by early Christians to support their ever-evolving conception of Jesus. What do we do with these stories? Well, I want to ask you a different question, but what if these events were actual signs of Jesus' present and future kingdom? And that's been the question I've been ruminating on and as I've been preparing this message, I went back and I read the, what, what Presbyterians believe about the kingdom of God. They call it the great ends of the church or the great ends or purposes of the church. And here is what I found. There are six great ends and you see them on the screen. Number one, the proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of humankind, the shelter, nurture, and spiritual fellowship of the children of God. Number three, the maintenance of divine worship. Number four, the preservation of the truth, the promotion of social righteousness. And then number six, this is the one that got me, the exhibition of the kingdom of heaven to the world. But even after reading that, it still didn't answer all my questions because I was still asking, what does it mean to exhibit God's kingdom to the world. And so I then turn to Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, because Jesus, as he inaugurated his public ministry, walked into the synagogue in Capernaum in Luke's version of the story and says, today these scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. He was announcing that the kingdom of God is here. Notice what he said as he quotes Isaiah and he claims the words of Isaiah for himself. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Don't miss that. Because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God 
And he goes on in verse 4 and says, they, will, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. So that's a, that's a post-exilic kind of statement that when the people of God returned to the land out of their exile, they would rebuild. But I also think it has great symbolic meaning for people who believe in the work of the kingdom of God, that God is calling people to rebuild broken lives and broken systems and broken cultures, that, that Christians, as they inhabit those spaces in the world, are actually people who are repairing and restoring and rebuilding. And when I read those words, I felt like they got me closer to the answer to my question. So just looking at Jesus, just looking at Jesus, we see the following, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit upon him and in his life. Just looking at Jesus, we see him preaching the good news of the kingdom of God to the poor. Just looking at Jesus, we see the demonstration of the power of God over demons. We see that collision of kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. We see the demonstration, when we look at Jesus, of God's compassion toward human brokenness and human need. And the question then I want to ask us is, did these signs of the kingdom of God expressed in and through Jesus' life, did they cease after his death and resurrection? And I then would say very, very, very strongly, no. No, they did not cease, and let me tell you why. Because when I read Mark chapter 6 and verse 7, I read these words that, yes, Jesus went about all the villages teaching and healing, and then you read verse 7, he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and then this line, he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He gave them authority to preach, he gave them authority to heal. He gave them authority to do the very works that he was doing. And then I went back to Matthew, the very last chapter, right before Jesus ascends back to heaven, he says these words again to his disciples, all authority, hear that word again, authority, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, and these are, the most, these are just beautiful words, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So if Jesus says all authority is given to me and then he sends the disciples, do you think he sends them out without the authority to do the things he's telling them to do? I also read Luke 24, 49, where Jesus said to his followers, See, I am, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. What is that promised? He said, So stay in the city until you've been clothed with power, dunamis, power from on high. And then the last one, it really became clear to me when I read Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. So when they had come together, this is after Jesus' resurrection, they came to him and they said, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? They were still thinking of an earthly 
kind of localized work of Jesus, that Jesus wanted to, now that he's back in power, he would just overthrow the Romans and restore the kingdom to Israel. And, and the Lord said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. There's that word again. But notice what he says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. And you immediately discover that, that Jesus isn't interested in a localized kingdom. He is looking at the kingdom of God spreading throughout the world, the knowledge of God spreading throughout the world as the waters cover the earth. And this brings us home then to my real point. Here's what scripture calls us, I believe scripture calls us to believe. I believe first of all that what Jesus started and what he gave to the disciples is not finished. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you, he said to the disciples, and he said it to his church, and Jesus is still sending his church. The work that Jesus started in this world is not finished. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus, in the person of the Holy Spirit, continues to work through his church. And that's one of the missing elements in so many of our churches in North America and in the West. We're doing the work of the church without the awareness and the help and the power that comes from the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. That what Jesus gave to his disciples and his apostles, he gives to the church today. And as people of the kingdom of God, sent and anointed by the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, we then must ask ourselves, where are the signs of the kingdom of God in our time, in 2021? Where are the signs of the kingdom? Because yes, I believe that we are called to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And I don't just mean standing behind a pulpit. I'm saying that every believer, you as a believer, you're called to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the places where Jesus is send, sending you. That is one of the signs. And unfortunately, what has become of this sign of proclamation is that we've turned it into evangelism programs. And the thing is, if you don't join the program, you feel like you're off the hook. Well, you know, I'm not into that. I mean, I love Jesus, but I'm not going to go out and talk about Jesus. That's sort of for the people with the gifts. And I just want you to know that, know that if you've been anointed with the Holy Spirit, that is one of the signs that becomes evident in our lives. We share the good news of the kingdom of God. I also believe that the sign that Jesus exhibited where he healed the sick, he announced the kingdom of God by rebuking and casting out evil spirits, that that is another sign of the church. And I can think of so many times in my own ministry, both in Jamaica and in the U.S., where I've been involved, where I've been called upon to pray for people who have come under some control or in some cases possession by a demonic spirit. And I realize that's a hard thing to hear these days, because we often think when a person exhibits these out-of-body type mannerisms, we assume it is only mental health. But I'm here to tell you that there are these instances where we must, as a sign of the kingdom, pray for healing and pray that people will be delivered from these oppressive spirits. 
Another sign that I believe that the church must exhibit today is the responsibility to act in mercy and to engage our community with deeds of social justice. That's what Jesus did when he fed the 5,000s. That's what Jesus did when he saw the masses and he said to himself, pray to the Lord of the harvest. When he saw the people, he said they were like, like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed, they were hounded, they were oppressed. His heart went out to the masses. And our responsibility then as, as a sign of the kingdom is to engage in deeds of love and justice and service to our community. Paul says in Galatians 6 and verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. James says true religion is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so one of the exercises that I've been doing for the past maybe three or four years as I've been praying the Lord's Prayer, I've been replacing the word earth with the community that I live in. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, we say, on earth. And you know, it's sort of amorphous, general, nonspecific. And I've just been taking the word earth out and I've been putting in my community. And sometimes I say it this way, your kingdom come, your will be done in Evanston. And I think of all the ways that what that would look like, your kingdom come, your will be done in Skokie, as you pray for Skokie. Your kingdom come, your will be done in Rogers Park, in Wilmette, in Chicago, as it is in heaven. And when I think about the, will, the, the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. When I think about the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven, I think about the fact that in heaven there is no racism. In heaven there is no violence. In heaven there is peace. In heaven there is a place for everyone. In heaven there is love, there is kindness, there is justice. And I try to picture all of heaven being poured out on, Evanst on Evanston, all of heaven being poured out on Wilmette or Skokie or wherever you find yourself. And then I start saying, what would it look like then to pray that through word and deed, God's kingdom then would come to exist in your home, on your street, on your block, in your condo, at your school, in your office? What would it look like to see the kingdom of God coming to those places? And you know, the fun part about this is that it's causing me to restudy the Bible and ask the question, how do I do this? And I'm looking more closely at the life of Jesus. What does it look like when heaven and earth are aligned in the places where I am? What does God's space, God's dimension look like in the places where I find myself? And it's no wonder that Jesus then said, the kingdom of God is within you. Because wherever we go, we have the capacity and the power and the anointing to bring the kingdom of God to bear on that situation. And that's how the reign of God is spread. 
And that's how the church expands and grows by word and deed. And when I look at our church, I see God using us to exhibit signs of the kingdom through grace and mercy ministries. I don't know how many of you know that in 2020, our Super Saturday ministry, that whole team, served over 5,487 meals to the homeless community. I don't know how many of you know that. And when I hear that, it just, I just hear echoes in my mind of Jesus feeding the 5,000. That's a sign of the kingdom of God coming to bear on a certain need in our community that our Super Saturday team served over 270 meals to the New Life Shelter as part of Good News Partners. That's the kingdom of God coming to bear on a certain area of need that our church through your giving, listen to this, through your giving during the cold of winter in 2020, we were able to provide assistance so that our homeless guests could spend a night in a motel safely out of the cold because a lot of our churches, we were no longer able to do the overnight shelter, but we were able to pour resources into that need. That is a sign of the kingdom of God coming to bear on that kind of need. I remember back in June, after the devastation of all the, 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 the riots and the that the pillaging that was done in certain parts of the city of Chicago, that Mike Miller reached out to us from Next Ministries, one of our, our partners, planting a new church in the city of Chicago, in the Bronzeville neighborhood. And he said, we need help. Our community is devastated. We need food. And so many of you came out on a Saturday and just bag after bag after bag filled with food. We had to rent a truck plus buses to get all that food down to to the Brownsville neighborhood and I'm telling you that kind of that's the kind of ministry that's a sign of the heart of Jesus that's a sign of the kingdom of God coming to bear on something that is going on on the earth that needed mending and you stepped into that but wouldn't it be great to also see the other signs being demonstrated where we no longer talk about evangelism programs, but we talk about the anointing to proclaim good news. Where we no longer talk about, well, I'm too busy to go about to a prayer meeting, but we're out on the streets, we're out in our neighborhoods. The minute we hear of something that is broken, somebody's sick, somebody's going through distress, we begin to pray that the kingdom of God would come to bear on that person's life and bring healing into them. I want to see all of us step into some new territories, some new ways of exhibiting the kingdom of God in this community where we find ourselves. So we pray and we see people being healed and we see demons being cast out and we see lives being transformed and people moving in new dimensions of the spirit power. I want you to join me in praying that God would give us the courage and the strength to see ourselves as people of the kingdom of God, called upon to exhibit God's kingdom to the community.
And it doesn't mean we're going to do it in big ways. It could be as small as a mustard seed. But if you have faith, God will grow that. And you don't need reverend behind your name. And you don't need seminary as part of your training. You already have what it takes. And what I want you to do now is begin to ask God. Say, Lord, would you use me as a child of the King? Would you use me, Lord, as one who is part of your kingdom to fix, to heal, to restore wherever I see brokenness and you put it on my heart? God, you can use me. Would you please use me? I want you to start praying that. And you don't need permission. You don't need to get on a committee to be a kingdom representative. All you need to do is to say, God, here I am. And in the smallest of ways, God is going to use you to shift the darkness and the pain that is in Evanston. I want to again say that if there is anything good that could come out of this pandemic, it is showing us that we don't need a building to be the church of God released into the community. You don't need to be on a committee to be the church of God released into the community. You just need the identity. I am a kingdom person. I have the anointing of the Spirit. I have the Word of God. I have the power of God with me, and I can do deeds of love and justice, word and deed, to the glory of God the Father. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.